Franny, what was in that medicine? I'm humming. <laughs> All right, we got that squared away. Christmas is a time we celebrate a wonderful, awesome, and dangerous message. It's awesome and wonderful because it tells us that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took on flesh and became one of us. It's dangerous because if we use reductionistic thinking, we reduce Jesus, the Christ, to a helpless baby only. We see him as somebody who can't roll over and get comfortable. Somebody who would starve to death if his mother didn't feed him. We see someone who claimed to have created the whole universe, needing somebody to hold him up while he learned to walk. We see somebody who claims to be the Word of God, the Logos of God, having to need someone to teach him his first words. To teach him, this is mom. This is dad. That's a sheep. A helpless little child. And he was. And he experienced all that we experience in our humanity because it was necessary for him to do so in order to become our sacrifice and our high priest. But now, as in Jesus' own time, it's easy to see this newborn baby and to so focus on the newborn baby that it's hard to think of him healing the blind, raising the dead, walking on water, calming the storm. How could this little baby, this human baby who can't even feed himself, do that? And in 1739, Charles Wesley combined these two ideas of the helpless baby and the omnipotent, all-powerful God into one being in the hymn that we just heard Carla and Steve play so beautifully. In 1840, a century later, William Cummings set that poem to Felix Mendelssohn's beautiful melody. And as Tom told me this morning, that turned it from a poem into a lyric. Did you know that? I learned that this morning. When you turn a poem into a song, it becomes a lyric. I'm so smart it scares me at some times. <laughs> but listen to what listen to what Wesley wrote, this deep theology. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ, the everlasting Lord, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. And so what Wesley wants us to understand that Christ was praised by the highest angels in heaven. That Christ is the everlasting Lord. But Christ then became veiled in flesh. But Wesley said, don't don't miss that veiled in flesh is the Godhead. As you look into the face of baby Jesus, 
see the face of God. Hail the incarnate deity. And it's that amazing blend of humanity and deity in one being that is the magic of Christmas. But people who knew Jesus, people who saw Jesus, people who saw his humanity and saw his frailties and saw the reality of his pain and the suffering and the hunger and all the rest of just being a human had a difficult time dealing with him as God. And in John chapter 14, John reminds us that Isaiah wrote a poem, told a story that all of Jesus' contemporaries would have known being good Jewish people. And John wrote these things Isaiah said or wrote because he saw Jesus' glory and he spoke of him. These things Isaiah said because he saw Jesus' glory and he spoke of Jesus' glory. What are these things? What was John referring to when he reminded Jesus' contemporaries that this human being from the Old Testament days, from our own Tanakh, from our own Hebrew scriptures, was praised as none other than God himself. And he's referring to Isaiah chapter 6, which is Isaiah's calling to ministry. And I, I just want to go back and look at that this morning and, and talk through that with you to remind us just who this baby Jesus really was and is. So if you have your Bible, turn to Isaiah chapter 6. This is well worth spending a few moments with. I'm just going to read it for you, and then I'll go back and explain bits of it so that we can see what Isaiah was dealing with. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with a train of his robe filling the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And then the rest of the chapter, verses 9 through 13, deals with uh, Isaiah's call to ministry, Isaiah's calling to be a prophet. But a few things I want to notice. First, he says, in the year that King Uzziah died, that was 740 B.C., eight centuries before Jesus' time. And it was a scary time when a king died in Israel or Judah because you never knew what the next king was going to be like. Uzziah had reigned for over 50 years. He was a godly, one of the reformer kings, one of the best. And when he died, his son uh, Ahaz, Jotham, pardon me, his son Jotham came to the throne. Jotham was also a godly man. And then Jotham's son Ahaz was a miserable man. 
led. So it, you never knew. So this was a scary time. And it was in the year that King Uzziah died uh, that, that the people were afraid. And Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. And John said what, John, what Isaiah saw was Jesus. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with a train of his robe filling the temple. And, and Isaiah said, I, I, you know, Uzziah died, and we were anxious about who the next king was going to be, but I saw the real king. I saw the Lord. And he was sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted. So no matter how many kings we have and no matter how proud they may be and no matter how grand they may be the king of kings is the one I saw and his throne is lofty and exalted and so while we may fear about the next king or the new president or whoever what whatever we may be fearing fearing or thinking about Isaiah said I want you to focus on something that this baby Jesus before he came to earth sat on a throne he was lofty he was exalted he is the king of kings he is the lord of lords and no matter what else goes on in your life your king your lord is supreme the supreme ruler the king over all kings the lord over all lords so do not fear my dear countrymen my fellow Judeans, I saw the real king, lofty and exalted, sitting on a throne. And then he said the train of his robe filled the temple. <laughs> That's almost like a Dr. Seuss cartoon. Here's this king, so royal, so splendid that his, the train of his robe filled the temple. And you say, That's absurd. That would be silly. And it would be for any king except this one. But as Isaiah saw this whole scene, it was appropriate that this king, this Lord, sitting on this lofty and exalted throne, should have the train of his robe filling the temple. And then the next thing he saw is the seraphim stood above him. This is the only place in scripture where these particular angels are named, seraphim. It means uh, light. Uh, it, it, it's glowing. It, it would be like if you took a, a rod of steel and put it in a furnace and it got white hot and you took it out and it would just be glowing by itself. So these, the eem is plural. There were at least two of them, seraphim, uh, this highest order of angels. And, and it says they each had six wings. With two they covered their face. With two they covered their feet. And with two they flew. So here this these, these highest order of angels, and they're hovering above Jesus, above his throne. And, and, and the glory coming from this one on the throne was so great that of their six wings, they used two to cover their face. They used two to cover their feet, to shield themselves from the glory of this one seated on the throne. So these magnificent angels, these, these beautiful creatures, a subservient, they're covering themselves, they're protecting, they're hiding themselves as they hovered with the other two wings over the throne. And he says these two, he said, one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. 
The whole earth is full of his glory. So they're, 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 they're naming him as, as holy, as set apart, emphasizing three times, set apart, committed to holiness, committed to goodness, committed to righteousness. And as Isaiah said it, and as John reminded the people of Jesus' day of Isaiah's image, holiness is what characterizes our God. And four times in the book of Leviticus, God said, be holy as I am holy. When Moses approached the burning bush, God said from the bush, take off your feet. You're about to tread on holy ground. And 1 Peter 1.16 said to us, the church, be holy as he is holy. And that's an aspirational goal. It is for me anyway. I'm not there. Anybody achieved that one yet? So when you hear, be holy, you, you think, oh, man, I'll never. I can't come to God. I, I'm not holy. Well, if you're saying you're not holy because you don't always do it right, join the club. Join the club. Be holy as I am holy is something we aspire to through our whole life. When I was at Dallas Seminary, the older professors would talk about Dr. Chafer, Dr. Lewis Sperry Chafer. He used to teach a spiritual life class. And, and the profs who were at students at that time in the old days said when some days he would finish class, he would close his Bible and walk out and nobody would move. They were awestruck at this man's holiness. Well, as he got older, he couldn't see very well. And so they would pay students to drive Dr. Chafer to doctor appointments and to the grocery store. And one day he was riding in the back seat with a student and talking about next semester. And the student said, well, Dr. Chafer, I, I, I have to drop out of seminary. Dr. Chafer said, well, why, son? Why do you have to drop out of seminary? He said, well, I can't control my mind. You know, it's spring and, you know, what I'm dealing with. He said, I, I, I look at these girls and I just can't control my mind. It was quiet for a while. And a voice came from the back seat. Old Dr. Chafer said, son, maybe we both need to drop out of seminary. <laughs> so don't feel bad if you're not there yet. But that's the goal. And that's the image. Holy, 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 holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then Isaiah tells us the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. So now this isn't the voice of the one on the throne who's making the foundations, these huge foundation stones of the temple there in Jerusalem shake. It's the voices of those who are praising the one who is on the throne. So Isaiah's using all this different language to help us understand the magnificence, the glory, the exalted position of this one who sits on the throne, this one who is named Jesus, this one who we see lying in a manger, unable to turn over and get comfortable as someone helps him. This one who took on flesh, 
this one who became one of us. And the temple was filling with smoke, just this glorious theme in these first three verses. And then we have the first of three thens. Thens. Then, after Isaiah saw that glorious image of God, he said, Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. It was when Isaiah saw God's glory and God's holiness that Isaiah saw himself as he really was. And you say, wait a minute, Isaiah, how could you say you're a man of unclean lips? You're a prophet. You're a prophet. Yes, but I'm still a man of unclean lips. I have desperate need. I am not this holy one as I compare myself with him. Woe is me, I am undone, I am ruined, I'm a man of unclean, and I live among a people of unclean lips. So not only was Isaiah able to see his own need, he was able to see the needs of those around him. This need for God, this need for God's power, for God's presence, for God's spirit, to help us become more like this holy God. A lifelong quest, always a quest, never a conquest. Holiness is an aspirational goal. It's something we consistently and constantly aspire to. Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The second then. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. So Isaiah said, I saw this image of God. I saw God as he is. And it was only then that I saw myself as I am. And it was only then that I saw my culture as it is, in desperate need to be more like this God. And I confessed my sin. Woe is me. I am undone. Then one of these seraphim took a coal from off the altar, and he lit it on my lips. And he said, your sin is forgiven. Your iniquity is taken away. He touched my mouth with it. He said, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is forgiven. Now, it's kind of a rough picture. I would have preferred to get some cotton swab and put some Listerine on it, kind of clean my mouth up a little bit. No, apparently, I don't know what it was exactly that Isaiah was wrestling with. I don't know what he was dealing with, but apparently it was something deeply rooted. It was something that certainly bothered Isaiah. I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. So the seraphim said, let's take care of your lips. Let's deal with that. It's going to be painful. It's going to be tough. It may take some time. It may take some prayer. It may take some counseling. But it will certainly take the power of the living God to transform a life. And that's what we're dealing with. This Jesus who's sitting on the throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple, with the seraphim above him crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. He is the one who came, who, as Wesley told us, because he came, God and sinners are reconciled. Born that men no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. 
born to give them second birth. This one on the throne said, I will lay my glory aside. I will take the form of a bondservant in the image of a man. And I will come to earth. And I will experience your pain. And I will die in your place. Because I love you that much. But never forget that that little baby in the manger that we celebrate at Christmas is none other than the God of gods, the King of kings, and Lord of lords. So Isaiah saw God. He saw his own need. He allowed God to deal with that need regardless of what the actual process was. He described it as a hot coal on his lips. And it was then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? When I saw God, then I saw myself as I am. And I saw my culture as it is. And I said, Lord, whatever it takes to purify me, to help me be more holy, I want to hear your voice. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? What's God's call on your life? Probably not to be a prophet. <laughs> Maybe not to be a missionary. But to be a neighbor who cares enough about your neighbor to tell them that Jesus loves them and died for them. To invite them to church. To be a good neighbor to them to love them, to serve them. He's called me to be a better dad and a better friend, a better human being. Whom shall I send to those guys on the golf course? Whom shall I send to those guys locked away in prison? Whom shall I send across the street to that neighbor who's having marital issues? Who's got that kid on drugs that's tearing his heart out? Whom shall I send to go talk to these people? I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, but my lips have been cleansed. I can help you, my neighbor. I can counsel you, my friend. I have good news. Jesus can turn your life around because he was more than a baby lying in a manger. He was the eternal God, and he is the eternal God. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Then I said, Here am I. Send my sister. <laughs> I'm not going to that mission field. I'll pray for my sister. I'll pray for my neighbor. No, no, no. He said, Here I am. Can I go? Can I be the one who tells my neighbor about Jesus? Can I be the one while we're playing golf or having lunch at the club and I'm hearing the story about a broken heart or a man living in panic that something terrible is going to happen in his life or a woman whose husband is no longer loving her 
Lord, could I be the one that you would use? Because I have clean lips. I am more holy than I was because I understand just who that baby in the manger really was and is and what he's all about. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And I said, Lord, can it be me?